When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the third episode of Season 2 of Sports Legends of the Carolinas. I'm your host, Scott Fowler, sports columnist for the Charlotte Observer, where I've worked since 1994. And in this podcast, I travel across the Carolinas, seeking out some of my very favorite sports legends and asking them to tell me the real stories behind their rise to iconic status. And here's an exciting development for fans of this show. We're working with Pediment Publishing to create a coffee table book of these interviews and the exclusive photographs that go with all of them, just for you. You'll find curated transcripts of our in-depth conversations, one-of-a-kind photos of each guest, and QR codes where you can download the audio of these conversations to relive them in your own time. The book is scheduled to be released in fall of 2023 and will make a perfect keepsake for you or a great gift for the sports fan in your life. Check out sportslegendsbook.com now to see the book's cover and to pre-order your own copy in advance at a substantial discount. Now, for this episode of Sports Legends, we're in Chapel Hill, home of the University of North Carolina. And for this episode, I'm seated in UNC's basketball practice gym directly across from Tyler Hansbrough, the leading scorer in both UNC and ACC history, as well as a national champion with the Tar Heels in 2009. Getting a second chance. And beats the shot clock. Everything going Carolina way. It's been that kind of night, Jim. Even off the bench. Now 37 years old, Hansbrough was a four-time All-American with UNC from 2005 to 2009, then played for seven years in the NBA and several years after that in China. Renowned for his relentless determination and physicality, Hansborough is also famous among UNC fans for going 4-0 as a player at Duke's Cameron Indoor Stadium. His number 50 jersey hangs in the rafters at the Smith Center on the front row. In this interview, we're going to talk about all sorts of things with the player nicknamed Psycho T, like what went wrong with the most recent UNC team and whether Hansborough thinks they should have accepted an NIT bid, what his favorite win ever as a Tar Heel was, and why it wasn't the 2009 National Championship game. If he still thinks it was a cheap shot when Gerald Henderson broke his nose in 2007 in a Duke UNC contest. And we're gonna talk to Hansbrough about what he's doing now and the sport he's currently playing the most. And that's gonna surprise you. That's all next on Sports Legends of the Carolinas. Tyler, welcome to the show. Hey, glad to be part of uh, you know the show and be here with you. Thank you for uh, joining us. This is uh, this is really cool, and we're in the practice gym right now at UNC. Was this where you did all your practicing, or did you go to the Smith Center? Luckily, in the same building, but I always like to use the main court. Uh, I always felt like, hey, that's where we play the games. That's where the shots are going to count the most. So I try to get as many shots up and workouts as I could on the main court, and uh, also. Uh, when I do come into the Smith Center, it's always very peaceful when there's no one here. 
and you can get some workouts in. I've always enjoyed, uh, you know, coming to this, uh, this building and listening to the peacefulness and the quietness of it while I work out. I've always loved that. Now, do you still do that now? Or are you still, you look like you're in very good shape. <laughs> what, are, what are you up to these days? Well, I try to stay in shape. Um, I love to work out. I've always been a more of a morning person. So I still find myself waking up in the morning early to try to get some, you know, work done or whatever. Uh, but, you know, I'm just now kind of getting out of basketball. I've dealt with some knee injuries lately and, uh, my main focus is trying to get healthy and, uh, you know, be able to, to live a life where, you know, my knees not bothering me, uh, constantly, but also I do a lot of, uh, analyst work. I cover, uh, the Tar Heels on my podcast. I cover, you know, all the current topics, me and my co-host, uh, we run a podcast, Sleep Hawk Worldwide. Uh, it's interesting name, uh, but I've enjoyed that. And, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, make the transition out of basketball being my everyday grind and figuring that out. But, you know, I've, I've liked the transition so far. The podcast is really good. I, I highly recommend it. We were listening to some episodes today. And why is it, why does it have that name, Sleephawk? Sleephawk Worldwide. Well, <laughs> this is uh, my buddy who I went to school with. They call him uh, Sleep, Sleep Dog. He used to always fall asleep. Uh, and so we just naturally gave him that name, Sleep. Uh, but, Hawk for me, uh, just playing golf uh, on the golf course. I don't know who started calling me that, but one of my buddies. So uh, me and my co-host, we uh, we got started. Our friendship kind of, we bonded over golfing. Now, your nickname that most UNC fans would be familiar with is Psycho T. When did that start and how? Jonas Serration, our strength coach here at UNC, who's a, a big piece of the strength coach is such an important part of any college basketball team, but Jonas, I think, is the best. And me and him, we still have a great relationship. He's one of my best friends. But my freshman year when I was, you know, coming into UNC, I was a very shy, quiet kid. And some of the workouts Jonas will put you through, especially uh, as a freshman for somebody who's never, you know, experienced that type of workout, you know, they were tough. And so I was very shy, quiet. And then one day in the workout, you know, I started to get through the workout, started motivating myself by yelling and screaming at myself. And so he called me, you know, you're psycho T, you're psycho. You don't say anything, come in here, start yelling. And uh, the nickname got so popular that uh, he doesn't even call me psycho. Uh, he calls me T-Bone. That was my original nickname from my hometown. But he uh, he doesn't even like it anymore. He says it's too mainstream. <laughs> T-Bone, okay. And do you still come and work out with him? I know you did for years, right? Even uh, after I, your career. Oh, yeah. I trained with him every offseason when uh, I was in the NBA in China. Uh, I still go to Jonas, ask him questions. But, you know, the good thing about our relationship was – you know, he taught me so much about the weight room that I feel like I can walk into the weight room and know what I want to accomplish and what I want to do. And he's always growing and learning. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we still talk, but I don't think I need to train at that level. Uh, currently, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, trying to be the top and top guy in my sport anymore. Do you consider yourself officially retired from basketball? I wouldn't say I've made an official statement, but you know, the odds are kind of against me the way my knee is. I'm not sure my body will allow me to play anymore. Uh, I love the game. It's been hard to be away from it. Uh, I love working out in the morning. I love, you know, the feeling 
that I would get on game day, waking up, knowing I'd put a lot of workout, but work out, work in, but still not knowing if that is going to pay off. I've always enjoyed the unknown mm-hmm. of sport, and I love walking into an arena with the crowd, the atmosphere. Uh, that's always kind of euphoric that I look forward to. Uh, but uh, I will definitely miss all that. I've talked to a lot of um, former athletes in this podcast, and that is a common denominator. They thrived on the competition, the crowd. They persevered and won over and over and over. So how do you fulfill that competitive urge now in your own life? For me, I I don't feel like I'm trying to fulfill it. I think I've kind of, in a way, maybe let that go. I'm, right now, I might be looking for more balance and having a whole life because basketball is taking up so much of my life, and you know I've missed out on a lot of opportunities with my family. And so, right now, it'd probably be you know <laughs> spending more time with family, uh, doing holidays. I've really enjoyed that, and uh, you know finding balance. I think is super important. Yeah. So, tell me about growing up in Poplar Bluff, Missouri, a place where a few people who are listening to this have probably ever been. So, describe it. Poplar Bluff, small community, southeast Missouri. Uh, it's The state makes a boot hill, so we're right above the boot hill. Um, and I love my hometown, very proud of it. It's uh, about two and a half hours from the, the biggest, air, like an airport. So it's kind of hidden a little bit. But uh, there's a lot of great people in Poplar Bluff that have really been a big part of my life. It's a hardworking community, so that's where I get a lot of, you know, my – my traits of working hard and uh, getting up every day to work because uh, our community was built like that. It's kind of an old school country uh, community where, you know, they teach discipline and, you know, hard work. And so those traits have kind of shaped me uh, to become, you know, the person I am, but also, you know, gave me some some tools to be very successful. You grew up as the middle of three brothers, is that right? Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with your brothers and what they're like. Well, we're actually all three different personalities. My older brother, Greg, uh, you can't get him to stop talking. Uh, he will talk to anybody for, you know, you almost got to walk away. Both of my brothers are are my best friend and best friends, and they've uh, I've been very lucky to have them as my brothers, but Greg has been a great role model for me. Uh, he's went through a little bit of a health stuff growing up. And so, you know, I saw him overcome that. That was super important. But my younger brother, Ben, who is very competitive um, and he knows how to get on me and we, you know, it can be anything, uh, pickleball, basketball. Uh, I played with both of my brothers in high school, uh, but Ben if I didn't, you know, wasn't playing up to, uh, you know, my abilities, Ben would let me know about it. And it wasn't really nice, but uh, that's always been our relationship. And uh, it, uh, it probably made a lot of people feel uncomfortable, but uh, he's really pushed me and uh, he's been one of the best teammates I've ever had. You know, we played in high school together and then we played one year in Indiana together. And so to me, that was uh, really cool. And that was one of the highlights of my professional careers, playing with my younger brother, uh, you know, for the Pacers. I had forgotten that. Yeah. yeah. So the age difference between two. So, Greg, I'm uh, two years younger than Greg and two years older than Ben. And you and Ben are, 
are, are all three of you big into pickleball? I know pickleball is part we of it. We can't get Greg to play pickleball. Okay. Greg's pretty, he can be okay at pickleball, but yeah. uh, if he comes out there right now, he's going to get smacked <laughs> because he hasn't been playing and we're going to, we're going to make him pay for that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's you and your younger brother. Didn't you win a doubles tournament or something? Yeah, we, we won a doubles tournament yeah. uh, over the weekend. It was a big one for us. And most of our, our biggest opponent is ourselves. And so if we lose 90% of the time, it's an internal meltdown. Does your brother still get on you then too on the pickleball court? It's only court? worse. Yeah. It's uh pickleball is, uh, I've never gotten nervous before many games, but, uh, I get nervous before I step onto the pickleball court. And why is that? <laughs> I don't know why it is. I kind of told Ben, I was like, Hey, I'm nervous. Uh, and he's like, what? <laughs> then he gets on me. But, uh, it may be because, uh, you know, I know uh, my standards, you know, Ben's standards for me on the pickleball court are, are probably close to perfection. And so <laughs> walking out there, knowing uh, his standards for me and know he's, and I know he's going to get on me for every little mistake uh, can, can make me a little tense. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Now, you make your home now in Chapel Hill. Oh, yeah. is that right? Mm-hmm. And how long has that been going on? I've been coming back to Chapel Hill my whole, you know, professional career in the off season. I've always come back to Chapel Hill. And so naturally, when I, you know, stopped playing, uh, you know, I just kind of just hung out here. And so it's just the way it's happened. Your jersey's in the Smith Center. Uh, I, I was at the Duke game recently and you were, uh, there as well. Do you go to a lot of home games or not a lot? I go to a few, uh, I've kind of been traveling a little bit, uh, this, uh, this season, but you know, I've been to a couple home games this year. I've always enjoyed watching, coming out, supporting the guys and the team. Well, put on your analyst hat for a minute, if you will, Tyler, UNC this year, preseason number one ends up not making the tournament. And uh, then declining the bid to the NIT. Uh, before we get into declining the bid, just w- let's talk about the team. It ended up 20 and 13. What went wrong? Well, there's a couple factors. I think Brady Manick was a big piece. And I thought that he brought a lot of leadership character to the team last year. Uh, I think when he stepped in, when uh, the Dawson kid transferred or left or whatever, I think he made a huge impact because spirit and, you know, sometimes – uh, your competitive nature, that can be contagious, and I thought guys caught on to that. Uh, but also, I said this before the season, it's a different mentality when you're ranked uh, number one and teams know it. And after you had the success from last year, teams are, you're going to be – teams are going to highlight you in the, in the schedule. And, you know, at times it seems like they didn't handle the spotlight um, or the outside noise – well, I could see it. I just felt like they were putting too much pressure on themselves instead of just playing hard and having fun as a team. Um, and, you know, I've, from the outside looking in, I, I don't know what, uh, you know, internally I wasn't in the locker room for some of those conversations. And I've always said that, you know, whenever a team has a players-only meeting, I've never felt like that team's in a good situation. And I know they had that this will be good for some of the kids adversity and going through this year, they can use it as fuel, work harder and, uh, you know, maybe, uh, know how to handle it the next time they're in this situation. They went to quadruple overtime with the number one seed Alabama. Yeah. 
So they obviously still have the talent in there somewhere. Were you shocked uh, that this is the way it worked out? Well, if you look at the the season as a whole, there was only one blowout loss, and that was at Indiana. To me, that was kind of a setup game. Uh, Armando was hurt. We had some other guys banged up. We just came off a long West Coast trip. Uh, but we lost a lot of games, six, five. You know, we had some close ones we could have pulled out. Uh, but uh, – you know, it, we could play with anybody, you know, and I think Alabama, even though we got them early in the season, I felt like they grew as a team. It kind of got better. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't think it was a question whether we could play with anybody. Uh, I think we have the talent. We can do that. But, you know, it's for some reason it just didn't happen. And, you know, I, I'm always under the impression that if you can have practices and you can have games, good quality games, I think you should take that. Um, and I've said that, and I'm not knocking their decision. This is just my own opinion about the NIT bid, and I respect what they want to do. Uh, but, you know, if it was me, I'd want to play. If you had been in that locker room, you would have campaigned for it. You would have not minded playing in an NIT when it was obviously a consolation prize. I think the, the, the wrong way to look at it is it's an NIT game. And for me, there were so much expectations put on this team. I think a lot of reason why people didn't want to play in the NIT because it was labeled NIT and they didn't want to play in it because their goal was to win a national championship. I, I get that and understand it, but I think blocking out the outside expectations and the negativity surrounding this team and still being able to play and have practices, I think that says something. I think it builds character and makes the team stronger. Let's go back to your career for a minute. The favorite win of your entire career, if you can think about that for a minute, was the, your freshman year at Duke, I think. is. Would you put that above any other win It's my college? favorite win. Uh, not even close. And the reason I say that is because that team, um, there wasn't a lot of expectations or there wasn't a lot of hype. Uh, we had a lot of guys who played hard. Our chemistry was great, and we competed. And to go into Cameron uh, and beat Duke, which Duke was probably the top team in the country. They had Sheldon Williams. They had J.J. Redick, who J.J. Redick was dominant, one of the greatest college players of all time. They had a really good team, and Coach, Coach K does a great job. Um, and to go over there and win at Cameron. Two on the shot clock. Hands go way out. I mean, that was that was amazing. It was my first time walking into Cameron, and uh, the crowd was hype. You watch games as a kid, who I love college basketball, and you see the, the Cameron crazies, and then you get to go in that atmosphere. I had goosebumps. But walking out of there and, you know, knowing that we got that win with that team, it was special. And the celebration coming back here with my classmates and celebrating, that was uh, that was great. Interesting. So even more so than winning the national championship in Detroit. Well, for me, winning the national championship, it was more like a, a big, deep sigh. I mean, I'm like, oh, and also that year was a little bit rocky for me. I was dealing with some injuries. I had the shin to start the season, a uh, stress fracture in my shin. And, you know, it was more of like trying to get healthy, you know, and Coach Williams actually, he pushed me probably the hardest my senior year. And I think because he really wanted that team to go out with the national championship, uh, it was definitely the most talented team um, during my four years. Uh, so we, 
you know, we went to the final four of the season before and just got blasted. And then we, you know, come back the next year, we all come back and uh, we want to win a national championship. Yeah, that was, an, I was looking back at the roster. <clears throat> Amazingly talented. You had some NBA players on the bench even. Oh, yeah. uh, Ed Davis, Tyler Zeller was hurt, but I mean, those are really yeah. big pieces. Wayne Ellington. Yeah, Danny Green, Ty, all those that's a lot of pros on that team. And that team won every game by at least 12 points in the NCAA and uh, was one of the best teams, if not the best, uh, here. But weren't you hurt basically the entire year in your senior year? Yeah, and that's why it was so frustrating. I mean, I couldn't get my shin healthy. I eventually broke it the next year. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was dealing with that stress fracture uh, pretty much the whole year, trying to – you know, limit my minutes and then, you know, getting rest when I can stay off of it. It was, it was a difficult year for me. Were you in pain, like playing all the time? There was never like, Hey, when I did this, my shit, it was just kind of random and I would feel the throbbing at night. That was more the issue. Your, um, work ethic and relentlessness has long been, uh, lauded. Where did that come from? Do you think? I think it came from my community and also uh, my family. Uh, we all work hard, um, but, you know, just I feel like, you know, sometimes you to be great, you kind of kind of got to obsess over something and preparing uh, for me um, was a way to calm my mind also. So before games, I knew if I put the work in, you know, I was going to be much more confident. And then a middle, you know, in a good middle state. So I always try to approach it from that way. And, uh, you know, luckily I was surrounded by people who, you know, showed me how to work hard. Uh, the coaching staff here, I, you know, Coach Williams came out to every practice and uh, he gave it his all too. And so, you know, Jonas was always in the, you know, the weight room willing to work with us. And so I took advantage of that. And let's go back to Duke for a minute. Um, Gerald Henderson, I got to know when he was in Charlotte, some too. Uh, that incident, when he broke your nose, is one of the most infamous in Duke-UNC history. Just describe the play as you saw it. Man, Hansbrough and gets another right rebound. back in for another rebound. Ooh. Watch out. He took a shot to the face. And you know, he is a tough guy. He's, he's hot, but he took a shot there, and the blood is coming out, so he's not going to be shooting these free throws. As I saw the play, we had a pretty good lead going late, and I was fouled, went to the free throw line. And so I'm not sure I made the first one, whatever, but missed the second one, um, came off funny off the rim. I was able to get my own rebound. I gathered, pump faked, and went up and was hammered. I went on the ground. I had no clue what happened. And then I reached for my nose and realized I'm bloody. Somebody just hit me in my nose. And uh, I didn't really know if it was a cheap shot or not. And so my first instinct was to try to go after somebody. And I think Dewey Burke and then the ref got in there. And so I was bleeding. So I went back to the locker room, medical staff, whatever. And... You know, at the time, my nose wasn't – it wasn't hurting. Uh, I didn't realize how bad it was until he told me I broke my nose and there's a ton of blood. But when I watched the replay, I thought it was a cheap shot. And Gerald's a great guy. I'm over it. But that was a cheap shot. And it's hard to deny that. He probably took a lot of – you know, a lot of criticism from, you know, his peers and, you know, Carolina fans, which at the time I loved and I thought he should have got. But – uh you know, for me, 
it just fueled me even more. And I, you know, I had this vendetta where I, I was going to get Gerald at some point, NBA, whatever, next time I saw him, but never really panned out. We were way past that. And Gerald's a great dude. And we, you know, kind of laugh about it now because he's, you know, always telling me about, you know, how many people are mentioning it to him. And it seems like everyone's always coming up to me. And so then did you, did you have to sit out long with the broken nose? I can't, or did you just, did you play immediately? I can't remember. So that. it was the last game of the year. And then we went to the ACC tournament. I think it was in Tampa that year. And I had to wear that. The mask back then, it, it felt like it was just heavy glass on my face. I hated it. But, uh, yeah, I had to wear that for about a couple of weeks while I played. So you never got Henderson back, really? Never, never. really. Uh-uh. Yeah. No. Were you, you weren't ever teammates, so were you? No, and Charlotte, we weren't. you weren't no, there uh-uh. at the same uh-uh. time. Uh-uh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. But you guys ended up doing at least for a while a podcast together, yeah, right? Yeah, we did a podcast yeah. together. Uh, it got a lot of publicity because of our history. Right. Uh, but I enjoyed doing it with them. So – Another game I wanted to ask you about, I think it was against Virginia Tech, right? Was that the one you hit the end-of-game shot oh, yeah, in your – ACC tournament? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your post-game – or post – it wasn't <laughs> post-game, actually, right? Yeah. It was in the game, your celebration. Rebound followed by Hansgrove. Good! Carolina takes the lead, 68-66, eight-tenths of a second remaining. I remember the play exactly. It's called Long, Long Beach or whatever. And uh, it's always – it's like a signature Coach Williams late game play when we need a bucket. Uh, one, of, one of the options was Ty took it, whatever. I think he missed a shot. And so I tracked the ball and I was able to get the, the rebound. And so I'm not sure if I took a dribble or not, but I ended up in that short corner. So I just went up and shot it. I knew time was winding down. And if you look at the replay, I probably actually got fouled on the way up. They snuck their hand in there and hit my hand. Well, probably helped me make the shot too. But when I, when it went in, I started running. I was just celebrating. And I remember Wayne grabbing me about half court. Yo, there's time left. And I thought I hit a buzzer beater. And, uh, and I was like, really? And so I turned around. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I got to play defense. And uh, I remember that. They called a timeout, but laughing about it. But, yeah, that celebration, a lot of people like that one. You're, uh, you mentioned uh, Coach Williams, and uh, I know you guys have uh, stayed close for a long time. Didn't you go in recently to the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame or yeah, something, uh-huh. and was he there? Is that yeah, he surprised me. He showed up there. That's uh, really cool. Tell, yeah. me, tell me about that. That was recently, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Coach Williams is – the reason I came to Carolina, uh, his co- him and his coaching staff, I was really close with Coach Holiday, uh, still am. And so I just felt like Coach Williams was the most honest coach that recruited me. He recruited me extremely hard, and so I wanted to play for him. Um, and I uh, kind of liked his style too. But, you know, I liked him more as a person because I felt like he was honest and also uh, I felt like he was genuine. And – um, when I got here, I, I mean, I was just kind of young. I knew my dad and my parents really liked Coach Williams. So I didn't realize, you know, how lucky I was to play for a coach until I got here and saw what he, you know, saw how committed he was. And the coaching staff and the people involved in the program were great, too. Uh, but at the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame, you know, I was getting honored. My whole hometown, my community were sitting there. And then Coach Williams walks through the door, and I was just surprised. He was there with uh, Eric Coots came through from the program, too. And uh, I just I just got up, and it made my day. I was like, man, I can't believe you came here. And uh, he's like, 
come on, big fella, I wouldn't miss this. And so I just thought it was really cool. I wanted to read a quote from Coach Williams while you were here. He said of you, he's a big, strong kid, and he hits people without knowing he hits them. But I've never coached a kid that takes as much physical abuse as he does. And it's not an indictment on coaches or referees. He's just a bull in a china shop. And all those pieces of china like to hit him back, which I thought was a cool quote described your playing style pretty accurately but i wonder if you would describe your own playing style physical and i think a lot of times my first two steps are real quick and so a lot of times when you're that physical and you hit somebody uh, there's a lot of grabbing and relentless i always felt like you know going after rebounds uh competing and playing hard or uh probably two of the characteristics that i you know probably most embodied uh you know, my playing style, but it's hard to break down your own playing game. Yeah. I mean, I just, uh, I know I was physical. And amazingly adept at drawing fouls. Made more free throws than any player still in NCAA history. What do you consider your finest accomplishment at Carolina? I would say uh, winning a national championship, for sure. And the reason it was so special uh, is because our whole class stayed together for four years, and we all walked out with the national championship. Uh, Danny Green, Marcus Ginyard, Mike Copeland, uh, Bobby Frazier. Um, you know, to win a national championship, um, you know, we're all over the place. Danny came from New York. Bob came from Illinois. I came from Missouri. Marcus came from uh, Virginia. Cope was local. And so, you know, for us to walk out, you know, growing together, putting all that work in, and then, you know, reaching the ultimate goal on the way out, that was really special. And I remember after we won the game, coming over to the sideline, hugging Coach Williams and then going over and hugging Coach Holiday. That was a real special moment as well. Tyler Hansborough, look at that. Well, there it Excitement. is. Excitement. C.B. McGrath, get him a hug. Steve Robinson, another assistant. Holiday. And that joy. Look at that young man. Marcus Skinner, they've been together for four years. Hansborough has what he wanted. There's his father. Because I remember Coach Holiday put a lot of work into recruiting me as well, and we had built up a great relationship. And uh, a, a lot of times before practices, Coach Holiday and me would work out. And it wasn't anything sophisticated, just very simple drills. And, uh, you know, hugging him and, you know, somebody who recruited me and then sharing that, you know, that victory with, you know, our class was extremely special. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Was there a close second in your recruitment uh, behind Carolina? Probably Florida or Kentucky. That's really what it came down to. Those two were pretty close. And you ultimately picked Carolina more for <laughs> more for Roy than it, it uh, really Coach wasn't Williams. Close. Or, yeah, end, it wasn't close. No, nah, it mm. wasn't. Uh, if I had to go, you know, pick a second, it would have been Florida or Kentucky. Tubby Smith was actually at Kentucky, and then Billy Donovan was at Florida. So I, I really liked those two coaches, and still do. Speaking of recruiting, John Wall said something recently on, I guess it was Theo Pinson's podcast mm -hmm. about uh, that you big-timed him, basically, when he was being recruited here. And because of that, he ended up not playing at UNC. Uh, you have disputed that. So tell me a little bit about that. I don't remember John Wall ever being on a visit here. Um, and I've also talked to all my teammates, and none of them really even remember him coming around uh, and that's not uh, 
that's not a disrespect to John Wall, but also I wouldn't do that. I would never do that to a recruit. And if Coach Williams knew I did that to a recruit, it doesn't matter who you are. You would have, you would have had something, you know, to say. He would have gotten gotten on you. Uh, but uh, now I do not recall that ever happening. I don't believe it happened. It doesn't sound much like you to. I don't feel like you're a real big timer of people. No, from what whole, I've seen the whole story. You know, sitting with my homeboys. Like I, I mean, anybody that knows me. Well, well that would have been my teammates. I don't know who my yeah. my homeboys are, but yeah, yeah. You haven't really had much of an entourage uh, normally besides your own teammates. Uh, you tweeted, I think. I'm sure the Bank of Calipari had nothing to do with him going to Kentucky. That was just uh, that was something I couldn't resist. I just wanted to put that out there. But uh, you know, there's nothing to that. I was just kind of a joke. Okay, all right. Your uh, NBA career probably wasn't everything you wanted it to be, but how do you look back on it now? You know, seven years. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say I was satisfied with my career as a whole. Uh, I had more expectations, but, um, you know, starting the way I did in Indiana, you know, going through some injuries, um, my rookie year in and out, got to a rocky start. Um, and then my second year, I felt like I had a really good year, but those Indiana teams are pretty good. I mean, I was backing up David West, which you can make an argument. David West at the time was one of the best power forwards and he was a great teammate. You know, in our eyes, we felt like that fourth year, you know, we went to game seven with uh, Miami Heat. And so in the Eastern Conference Finals, you know, we were one game from, you know, going to the NBA Finals. You know, we had Roy Hibbert, who at the time, a lot of people, you know, knock Roy. But Roy, when I played with Roy, Roy was arguably the best big in the league. He could pass. He had soft hands. He blocked everything. He dominated the paint. Uh and then we had good guards. We had Paul George, George Hill, uh, Lance Stevenson was young, but he was coming on. He was playing well in that time. I know Charlotte was a whole different uh, experiment. That was <laughs> that was a scratch off lottery ticket. But uh, Lance, when Lance was focused and he was like committed, he was very, very good. I was lucky to be on that team, and then going to Toronto. I, I just don't think Toronto was a good fit. They, the small ball uh, wasn't something that I fit, and I felt like the NBA really embraced the small ball especially, and so I wasn't a three-point shooter or a stretch-of-court guy, and I wasn't, you know, physically I'm not seven one or, you know, running to the rim, you know, jumping off the backboard. And that's what the NBA wanted. They wanted four uh, basically wing players that shot the three, and they put the big in there, the seven-footer or the center. And so, you know, I didn't really fit that mold. Um, so I wish I would have done better. Uh, but I really enjoyed my time in Charlotte. Even though I didn't play a lot when I got in, I felt like I did some things. And also that team, our chemistry in Charlotte was amazing. I, I love playing with Kimba. Uh, he was special. And also, also – uh, Steve Clifford was a great coach, probably one of my favorite NBA really? coaches yeah. I played for. Very knowledgeable, uh, very honest person. He's straight, you know, it's one of the few times where he walked up and said, hey, we've got a lot of bigs here. You're going to be like, this is what I, you know, you're going to be coming in when guys get injured, but this is your role right now. And so I really respected that. Uh, but no, I, I was lucky to play seven years in the NBA. Uh, I wish I could have, you know, accomplished more individually, but, you know, I enjoyed my time. And then, Going to China, for me, China was very special. How many uh, years did you play there? Three years in China. Three years. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. 
And it would have been longer if not for COVID. Uh, but China was a great thing. Uh, I really liked going over to China because I was such a big, you know, the imports in China, I don't know if you know, there's only two imports per team, and that's foreign players that aren't Chinese. And so there's such an emphasis on to score and be a big part of the team for the imports that it got me focused back, you know, to working on my game, working on other areas, what can I do, and really becoming a focal point of a team, which I really enjoyed. And also, I had so many expectations and uh, of having a big NBA career, and I always felt like there was some negativity I let the outside expectations bother me a little bit. And then going to China, it didn't matter because I couldn't understand anybody, what they said to me, because I didn't speak Chinese. And so I could just focus on basketball and get away from everything. And I really enjoyed my time there. You put up some huge numbers there. I was looking back to a few things, and you know, there's like Hansbro had 41 and 19, and there was uh, some – and you could only have two. And isn't it true that when you play in those leagues that if you are not performing – as an American, I mean, you're you're out pretty quickly, oh, yeah. right? I mean, if, yeah. if you have a few bad games, you're done. And the imports, you've got to score. And so I knew that. And also there's an aspect that if you play well, the Chinese season is much shorter. And so you can come back and get on to maybe an NBA uh, playoff team who needs uh, some bodies from people who are hurt or whatever, and uh, they just pick you up. Ty did it. Uh, Lawson, when he played in China, so some other players have done it, but there was always, you know, that aspect in the back of my mind. Were you in China when COVID began? Yeah, I was there when it hit. What was that like? Uh, it was, uh, I remember I got a phone call from somebody and they're like, man, what's going on? What is this? I was like, don't even believe that. It's just media hype. I was like, I don't know what's, and then it just seemed like it blew up overnight. And I remember flying through these cities and, you know, these cases kept piling up. And then one day it was just like everything shut down. And then I remember I made a phone call and I was like to my agent, I said, I need to get out of here. And he was like, hold on, let me talk to the team. I was like, no, don't talk to the team. I want to get out. And so I got on a plane and got out and uh, I've never been back since. But it's funny how quickly it spread. And then I got out of China and I actually got COVID here, like shortly after I got into uh, the U.S. And I was, I think when I landed in the U.S., there was one case of COVID in like Seattle that had been reported. So was this like February of 2020 or something mm-hmm. or March 2020? Yeah. Uh-huh. Or? And, and yeah. everything was here was kind of normal. Yeah. Uh, really- no. And I came, so I, I landed in Chicago and I remember walking through, uh, I'm not sure the TSA or whatever. And they're like, are you sick? I was like, no, I'm good. And like, okay, go ahead. And like, now it's just like all the, you know, quarantine, the court, yeah. there wasn't people weren't wearing masks. No, this was just, you got back just in time. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And, uh, I remember the Duke game, UNC Duke played in the Smith Center. So I came to that game and my mind was like, you know, I got a little cough. And then, so I was like, Oh no, did I, do I have COVID? And then I started watching the news and all these uh, cruise ships started, you know, having all these people with COVID. And so I kind of had a panic attack because I thought I gave everybody in the Smith Center COVID at the time. (laughs) 
but I didn't have COVID and there was no testing, but I got it a few months later, but. Was it bad for you? Because no. there was no vaccine back there then, was, right? It was yeah. pre-vaccine, but it wasn't all that bad for me. It was just like a, the flu for me, luckily. Yeah, yeah, Whew. yeah. Dang, and so you've never been back. Haven't been back. That was, that, was that your last competitive basketball yeah. game, whatever uh, the last I, one you I, played I, in China? I felt like I was playing the best I've ever played, yeah. and uh, I really enjoyed it. Food was amazing. Team was great, but, you know, COVID hit and haven't been back since. Now, tell me, are, are you able to, I mean, play and, I mean, do regular stuff now with that, with your knee? Not really right now. I just had knee surgery right before Thanksgiving, uh, just a cleanup. But, uh, you know, I'm getting building strength, getting better, uh, working with the mobility specialist. Able to play pickleball, so I guess you're moving a little bit. I can bit. play pickleball. Yeah, but not full-court basketball. Last thing I'll ask you, Tyler, uh, this is a question that – you know who Cedric Maxwell is, Cornbread Maxwell? He was an old uh, UNC Charlotte player, uh, played for the Celtics. But he asked me this question, which I'll now ask you, but think about your own sports heroes, your own sports idols in your life. And if you were going to make a Mount Rushmore in your own – backyard or wherever you wanted to put it of your four favorite sports figures living or dead of all time who would you put on your your personal mount rushmore it would be michael jordan uh shaquille o'neal lance armstrong probably larry bird and why just give me like a Uh, sentence on each one uh i remember watching him in chicago uh he was a big motive i mean everything he did if we'd watch a game, everybody would go in their backyard and we'd play. Uh, Shaq, um, I love his personality. And a lot of people don't know this, but when my brother was sick, Shaq sent a team signed autograph to my brother and talked to my brother after a game one time. It was a really special moment. And then Lance Armstrong, everything he's done uh, when he went through cancer and gave everybody hope. Uh, that was around the same time my brother had that the brain tumor. And so he really got everybody, and actually in our whole community in Popper Bluff, it was, everyone seemed to start riding bikes. And so we thought that was really cool. And then Larry Bird, Larry Bird drafted me. Uh, so, you know, getting to know him and, you know, looking back and watching him, highlights and everything, that was a really cool moment as well. Well, that's Tyler Hansbro. This is Sports Legends of the Carolinas. And Tyler, can't thank you enough for uh, being on the show today. No, happy to be here. Thank you. Remember, you'll find much more about this interview and about all of our guests, including Steph Curry, Roy Williams, Dale Earnhardt Jr., and Don Staley, in our Sports Legends book. It's scheduled to be published in fall of 2023. Pre-order your copy now at sportslegendsbook.com. Thanks so much for listening to Sports Legends of the Carolinas, a production of the Charlotte Observer. This show is produced by Lou May Ali Sally, Jeff Siner, and Cotta Stevens. The sports editor of the Charlotte Observer is Lydia Craver, and the executive editor is Raina Cash. Davin Coburn is McClatchy's director of audio. For lots more sports content and to continue supporting this kind of work, please visit charlotteobserver.com and consider a digital subscription. And connect with me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fowler or email at sfowler at charlotteobserver.com. See you next time.